we open up His Word, if you have a Bible with you, and and I uh, hope you have a Bible, uh, and if you do, it'd be great to take it with. What we do in this church is we, uh, on Sunday morning, we go through a scripture passage verse by verse, and so it's great to have the Word right there in front of you so that you can be checking uh, what I'm saying and follow along and be led in that way. You can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16 this morning. We talk a lot in our church about discipleship. Uh, It's a word that gets thrown around a lot, and we're now in the middle of a short three-week series. Before we get back into the Gospel of Mark on September 8th, we're doing this short series to ask ourselves the question, what does discipleship actually look like? Jesus, His parting command at the end of the book of Matthew, was that His people should go and make disciples of all nations. We've taken that word, make disciples, and made a word out of it called discipleship, And we talk about that a lot in the church, but we want to be informed by the Bible as to what discipleship is and what discipleship should look like. And so we're going through three New Testament passages, started last week in Hebrews chapter 10, looked at verses 19 through 25, where the big idea was this, that we, discipleship looks like a group of people saved by God's grace in Christ, meeting together, okay, so meeting together, with a couple of purposes, to stir one another up to love and good works and to encourage one another. That's what we talked about last week, that that in order for real discipleship to take place, real relationships need to exist. That you can't really have real discipleship, real growth, if we don't know one another. And so, the specific application last week was just asking you to make a commitment Not because it's my idea, but because it's God's good command that we as a group of people, as a church, need to make a commitment to being together, to meeting together. It says, do not neglect meeting together. Specifically, ask you to to, to consider making a commitment to being here on Sunday morning as we gather for Sunday school first and then a worship service. Great times of opportunity for fellowship together and growing together in knowledge of God's Son. And so, encouraged us in that, and also encouraged every adult in the church to get signed up for a life group, and many of you have, and that's great news. This week, we're going to move to the book of Ephesians. And now, if I got to just pick a book, as I started being pastor here, that I could take you through verse by verse, it totally would have been Ephesians, but Louis, the interim, stole that from me, and so I don't get to do that. Um, But I'm doing one message anyway this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is an incredible book that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to a group of people, the church in a city called Ephesus. And so he writes this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that really focuses on God's reconciling work. That God, who is holy and perfect, and us who are sinful, God through Christ, is reconciling people to himself and also reconciling very different people to one another. That's chapters 1 through 3, basically, and then chapters 4 through 6 really focus in on how that affects the church. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to say a lot of words, and I realize that I say a lot of words quickly, um, and so if it helps you to take notes and kind of keep up that way... um, Go ahead, and uh, there's a a sermon note page on the back of your bulletin that you might want to follow along with. But we know for sure, we can't say that for sure about my words, but we know for sure that the word I'm about to read is God's word, and so it's different. 
Uh, And so to acknowledge that, if you're able to, let's stand together as we read God's Word this morning. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You can be seated. The big idea this morning is that discipleship looks like a diverse group of people who grow to maturity and work together in unity under the headship of Jesus Christ. So a a diverse group of people, a whole bunch of people all different from one another, gathering together to grow together to maturity, working together in unity under the headship of Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is about, so that's what the sermon is going to be about this morning. We're going to look, if you look at the outline, you'll notice that we're going to actually talk about anatomy and physiology. Those are two terms that are often used when we talk about the body, and this talks about the body, the body of Christ. And so we're going to talk about the anatomy of the body of Christ, that is, what are the parts of the body of Christ, and then the physiology, that is, how do these parts work together and function, okay? So first, the anatomy of the body of Christ, that we get from verses 11 and the first part of verse 12. First thing that we'll notice as we look at verse 11 is this. And he gave. That's referring to Jesus. So far, Ephesians 4 has been talking about Jesus. And so the first thing we notice about the body and how it's made up is that Jesus is the giver of gifts to the body. Now we see other places in Scripture where it talks about the Holy Spirit giving gifts to the body, that the the church, once you become a believer, you have a spiritual gift individually that you are to use. But here... We're speaking of something that's corporately given by Jesus to the church. And what are specifically the gifts that are given to the church here? According to verse 11, let's look. And he gave, here's the gifts he's giving. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Okay, So the gift that God is giving to the church as a whole is people. People who are leaders, apostles and prophets. We hear most of, now, some people would say that there are no longer apostles and prophets. Some people would say there are still apostles, they're church planters, prophets, whatever. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 says this. If you look back just one page maybe in your Bible, Ephesians 2.20 talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay? So the church has been built on the apostles and prophets. We don't have, like, you can't go to somebody in our church and say, I hear you're the apostle or you're the prophet. We don't have that office in our church. Evangelists, those are people who are 
extremely skilled at sharing the good news. They, they, they evangelize. They share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. That can be many people in our church. But the next role is a role that we actually have in our church, as an office in our church. That is the role of shepherd. Shepherds are a gift to God's church. Shepherd, now this word, maybe in your translation it says pastor. Maybe in your translation it says elder. They're really all interchangeable terms, and so that's why we sometimes translate them one way and sometimes another. Elder, pastor, shepherd are interchangeable terms. And so, shepherd, pastor, elders in the church are given to the church by Jesus, and we'll get to the purpose of them in a little bit. But in our church, you would notice that there are people called elders. My role in the church is I am the pastor, okay? Um, As the pastor, I function as one of the elders. There's six other men in the church, so there's seven of us all together that work together, and our main duty is the spiritual care and oversight of the flock. As shepherds of the flock, we want to care for you. In Acts 6, it lays out the ministry of elders being primarily focused on the ministry of the word and prayer. And so one of the main ways that we care for the flock, one of the main ways that as your pastor I care for you, is by doing what it says next in verse 11, and that is teachers. That's one of the primary functions of an elder or pastor in the church, is that they are to be teachers. And so, that's part of what I want to do as your pastor, that I want to be committed to feeding you. I want to feed the flock. As a good shepherd, I want to feed you good food. We know that if the body's going to grow, this is true physically, right? Like if your body's going to grow, Twinkies and cheesecake probably aren't going to cut it. Like you actually need to be fed good, nutritious food if you want the body to grow. Uh, Same thing with the body of Christ. If we want to see the body of Christ grow, one of the primary ways that the body of Christ grows is that they are fed good food and we eat it. So it's part of what we as elders, me as a pastor, are very concerned about, that we want to be sure that we're teaching you and feeding you good food that will cause the body to grow. That's why all that we do as a church is grounded and rooted in the Word of God. We want this to determine what it is that we feed you, what it is that we teach as a church. There are seven elders, like I said, in the church, and they are godly men who fit the qualifications laid out in Scripture, especially in 1 Timothy 3. You may or may not know them. Uh, They do so much work, praying for you as a body, caring for you as a body, Uh, dealing with sometimes difficult situations in the body. Uh, Hopefully you you know them. Uh, They are Jerry Hitch, Bob Tim, Bob Reakin, Lynn Lee, Ron Allen, and Mark Guy. Uh, Those are the elders who serve you, and they are a gift to you as a church. And I hope you recognize that uh, in them, that they are a gift from Jesus to the church. And here is their work. Oh, wait, before I get to that, we're we're not done with anatomy. Um, Their work is, verse 12, to equip the saints, but then that's the other part of the anatomy. So there is in the church, the church is made up of elders, teachers, leaders in the church, but the church is also made up of saints. Okay? Saints. So who are saints? Some people have this idea that a saint is something that, like, becoming a saint is something that you earn. Like, over time, if you do enough good, that maybe sometime, probably after you're dead, somebody's going to vote and make you a saint. That's not the biblical definition of saint. 
A saint is simply somebody who has been made holy through faith in Christ. Somebody who was certainly sinful, but has been made holy by faith in Christ. That's what a saint is. And so you are a saint if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation. Turn back just a little bit in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, you want to know how you become a saint? In Ephesians 2, many of us have memorized this. In Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? And so you become a saint, you become a holy one, not by working really hard to try to be holy. You become a saint by trusting in Jesus, and you are given His righteousness. You are made holy. You are seen and clothed with the righteous robes of Christ through faith in Him. So the saints, that is all who are in here this morning who have trusted in Jesus. That's all of you. And it is our task then as elders to equip you, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Some people call my role as pastor, some people refer to me as a minister. And and they're right, I am a minister, but really anybody who is a saint, anybody who has been saved, anybody who is a Christian, a part of the church, you too are a minister. You're called to do ministry. And people that do ministry are called ministers. I'd probably be more accurately called a pastor. That's what the church has called me to, to pastor the church. But he's called all Christians to be ministers in the church, to do the works of ministry. This is getting us into physiology now. How is it that the parts work together? How is it that people, saints, can gather together and what are we supposed to do? We are to do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And it is such a privilege to be a part and to be a leader in this church where people realize that. That it's not my job to build this church as your pastor, that it's our job collectively. That the saints together work to build up the church. And that takes so many people. I'm just thinking of even even the fact that we own this building. That's a gift that God has given to us, that we have this building, and it takes a lot of work. There have been people out there mowing the lawn, and it takes hours to mow this large lawn that we have. Uh, There have been people in here this summer that have painted things and updated things and disinfected things and cleaned things. Uh, There's people here like Beth and and Pam come every Friday to clean this building. There's a lot of work that it takes just to take care of a building, let alone all of the work that it takes to really do ministry with people. That there are people who are Sunday school teachers and Awana leaders and nursery workers and all sorts of other ministries. People serving on boards and committees, deacons, deaconesses, Christian education, missions, all sorts of things, all sorts of people, the saints working together with the goal of building up the body of Christ. And that's happening in this church. And that's good news. If you are new to this church and wondering how you fit in, there are many ways that you can serve. Come and talk to me or talk to somebody and we'll help you find a way for you to serve in this church. The big question of the passage today, though, is not this. It's not, are you growing individually? Are you individually growing in your relationship with Jesus? I hope that you are, but that's not the big question of the passage today. Another good question is, is our church growing, like in numbers? And it seems to be. And praise God for that. That's good, but that's not the question in the passage today. The question in the passage today is, is our church growing up and maturing together? How do we know? 
How are we supposed to know that? Like, how are we doing, church? Are we growing up well together? How do we know that? Well, thankfully, God has given us some benchmarks here in the rest of this passage so that we know how we're doing as a church. We can look at these things and say, how are we doing? Just like when you take your child in for one of those um, annual well-child checkups, they have these benchmarks, right? Like, at this age, your child should be able to pull himself up on, on like, some furniture or something. Or at this age, you're, you know that your child is growing and healthy if they can put two words together, right? Or, you know, if you kept doing this in the middle school, it would be like, hey, you know your child is growing and healthy and normal if, uh, you know, they don't want to be seen with you in public anymore and you th- they think you're like the dumbest person alive. Then your child is normal and growing and healthy. Um, but all these benchmarks that really help us to know, are we growing? And I'm thankful that God has those. And we're going to just look quickly over the seven benchmarks that are given to us in God's Word this morning, right here in this portion of Scripture. So, how do we know if we as a church, taking ourselves in for our whole body exam, how do we know for a healthy and growing body? We know that if, one, we have unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That if we as a church have unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, then we're doing well. Look at it in uh, the end of verse... Wait, this is verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So one way that we know that we're doing well as a church is that we have unity of the faith. That means that when it comes down to the core things, the core doctrines of the Christian faith, we're together on those things. We have as our church, uh, the E-Free Church has a uh, 10 statement statement of faith that we say these things will hold us together. These things that we see made a big deal of in Scripture, we say, as a church, we're going to sit on these things together. We can disagree about a lot of stuff. You know, Hawkeye's Cyclones doesn't matter. King James Version, NIV, doesn't matter all that much, right? Organ or drums doesn't matter all that much. What we want to agree on is these things. We're going to hold together on these things. We're going to have unity of the faith. Not unity of preferences about everything that we see in life, but unity of of the faith, right? And so, unity of the faith is one thing, and the next thing we see is unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. That we know that we're growing as a church if we together are growing in our knowledge of Jesus. Are we doing that, church? You know, some people have this idea that like growing in knowledge is is somehow disconnected from growing in your relationship with Jesus. People have this idea like, I, I don't want to, you know, spend a lot of time like digging really deep into Scripture, studying theology, like that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. I just want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I want to love Him more. I want to experience Him. But you really can't do that if you're not going to desire to grow in your knowledge of Him. That your understanding of who Jesus is needs to grow. Just imagine it this way, okay? Guys. Let's say you wanted to grow in your relationship with your wife. And so you said to your wife, Honey, I, I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want to I love you more. I don't want to be so concerned with all sorts of facts, like your birthday, our anniversary, right? like all that stuff. Like I don't want to know what you did today. That's just facts. I just want to know you and love you, baby. Then get a pillow and go sleep on the couch, right, dude? I, I mean... 
that because, because knowing somebody and having a real relationship with them requires knowing about them and growing in your knowledge of them. I love my wife better the more I get to know her. And the more I get to know her, the more I love her, right? That's the same way it is that in our relationship with Jesus. That we need to, if we're going to be a healthy church body, we need to be growing in our knowledge of the Son of God. And I don't care if you've been in the church for 50 years, and I'm not even 50 years old, we can still grow together in our knowledge of the Son of God. And that's why we want you to be involved in, in what's going on in the church. You know, like some people are like, ah, Sunday school, that just makes a long morning. You know, if we start at 9, and now we're not going to get home till 11, like not done at 11.30, that's like two and a half hours. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can cut it. A lot of people at this time of year are making two and a half hour commitments or longer to high school football on Friday night, college football on Saturday, and NFL football on Sunday. We're getting geared up for that. Not a problem to make a two and a half hour commitment to that. When we say, we're going to have Sunday school and church, are you serious? That's a long time. Two and a half hours, pretty sure we can do it. And the goal is that we would together grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, so that's benchmark number one. We'll go through the other ones a little more quickly. Benchmark number two, it says, this is at the end of verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how do we know that we're growing as a church? We're maturing. And what's our measure of maturing? The stature of the fullness of Christ. Anybody there yet? I'm not. I don't think anybody in our church is there yet. But are we as a church becoming more and more like Christ? Are we, as the world sees us, becoming a more and more Christ-like church as we represent Him in this world? You want to know what that looks like? Turn ahead, just probably two pages in your Bible, to Philippians 2. Here's how we know if we are maturing and measuring up to the the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 3. Here's what it says there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Are we doing that as a church? Are we looking so humbly at ourselves that we're looking at other people and we're saying, you know what, what you desire, what you want, what you need is more important and more significant than me and what I need. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You care more about what you think, what your preferences and opinions are, or about what other people think. Verse 5, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mind that we get when we're in Christ. We want to become more like Him, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how we know if we're maturing, if we're becoming more and more like that. If we have more and more of the mind of Christ among us, that we look at others and we consider them more important than ourselves. That as we look at others, we look at Jesus first and see that He showed His love for us by laying down His life for us, becoming obedient to the point of death. Are we obedient to God? None of us even face death. But are we obedient to God? 
Would we be obedient to the point of death? In that way, we can see that we're growing to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Benchmark number three. Look at verse 14. Benchmark number three is this, that we aren't easily deceived. Verse 14 says this, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Kids are gullible. Have you noticed that? And sometimes it's kind of cute and kind of funny because you can kind of mess with them a little bit, right? But they can also be very easily taken in and very easily swayed. And so it's not just cute. Sometimes it's actually quite dangerous. That's why we as a church, because we care about and love kids, we make anybody who's going to work with kids go through a background check. We do some screening so that we know that the people working with kids are going to keep those kids safe because kids are easily taken in and swayed. Right? We're gullible. It's easy to to have a kid change their mind, to be tossed to and fro by wind or by waves or whatever, by anything that comes along. We want to be so rooted as a church and grounded in God's Word and molded by God's Word that our ideas come from this and not from anything else. Not from, oh, well, I heard one time from somebody else or I one time experienced. Ultimately, we want to come back and have this be the ground of everything that we're talking about as a church. Okay? We want to be molded by the Word of God. We have a lot of information at our fingertips, now more than any other generation in human history. You can get Christian broadcasting on your TV whenever you want. You can get Christian music whenever you want. You can read Christian books. You can go to a Christian counselor. But we need to be very discerning because just because it has a label Christian doesn't mean that they're teaching something that is true and biblical. We have to be a discerning people. And that's how we know that we're growing. We know that we're growing if we can look at something and say, doesn't sound quite right. I'm not sure about that. Because I know this from God's Word. And I know this is true. And I'm not sure what that pastor just said or what that book just taught me. You know, like we get our doctrine of God, our understanding of who God is. That doesn't come from reading the shack. That comes from reading the Bible, right? And we know that heaven is for real not because a dad wrote a book about his three-year-old son's experience. We know heaven is for real because the Bible tells us that heaven is for real, right? So those, those things are all maybe okay, some of them. Some of them are not. Um, but in the end, we want to come back to God's Word and letting that mold who we are as a people so that we're not easily deceived and tossed to and fro in the waves and in the wind. Okay? Benchmark number 4, verse 15. Benchmark number four, how do we know that we're a healthy and growing church? Rather, speaking the truth in love. That's hard to do, isn't it? You had to do that to somebody? Somebody that you love and care about in the body of Christ? That they needed to be told the truth? You needed to tell them something? You knew it might offend them? You might step on their toes? And we're scared to do that in the Midwest. We're really, really nice people. If you're like from New York, you just do that to people all the time. It's like normal. They need to work on the in love part. We probably need to speak, work on the speaking the truth part, right? Now we need to get better at that. We're so scared that we might hurt somebody or offend somebody that we sometimes just don't say something that we need to say. Now that's not going to happen usually from up here. That's going to happen in relationship with each other. That we hope that the body of Christ is gathering together often enough and has deep enough relationships with one another that you feel comfortable speaking the truth in love to one another. So, are we doing that as a body? That's scary. 
Like I said before, real discipleship takes place in the midst of real relationships. And real relationships are messy. Marriages are messy. Families are messy. The church is messy. Right? It's a mess. And it gets even messier when you have to sometimes say hard things to people that you know that they need to hear. We don't, also need, we don't even just need to speak the truth in love. If we want to be a healthy and growing church, that means we also need to receive it. And that's hard. That's hard for me. I know that one of my idols, we talked about idols a couple weeks ago, I know one of my idols is the acceptance and approval of other people. And you know how I know that wasn't, that's one of my idols that I battle against? It's because when I get a negative comment or a critical comment, I just, that, that, that hurts me to the core. Right? And so I'm trying to learn, how do I not just speak the truth and love to other people, but when people speak to me and maybe the way they said it wasn't quite right, or maybe what they said wasn't quite all the truth, how do I receive that well? Ephesians 4.2 gives us a clue on that. If you just look up a little bit further, just work on this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You know, there's a quote that's helped me over the last couple years. I read this, I think, two, three years ago just struggling and you know and it didn't even happen that often but it's just like anytime I'd get like a critical comment from somebody I just like oh man I think I'm falling apart what like you know uh but I got this quote from Charles Spurgeon uh here's what he said this is good good advice brother if any man thinks ill of you don't be angry with him for you are far worse than he thinks you to be isn't that good that's helpful for me Somebody comes at me, and they're like, and maybe what they're saying is like partially true, but I could be very defensive and be like, oh no, yeah, you you don't even know what you're talking about. Or I could be like, oh, you're telling me? You got all this going on. Who are you to tell? Like, I could do all that and get defensive, but I'm trying to have this kind of attitude, this humble and gentle attitude that Charles Spurgeon uh, encourages, just be like, (laughs) kind of almost laugh. Like, okay, there's probably some truth in there, and you know what? What you just said, you don't even know half of it. I am way worse than you think me to be, right? So will we be people, we know that we're being a healthy and growing body if we are speaking the truth in love to one another and when people are speaking the truth in love to us, even if it's not in love, we look for some truth in it and take it humbly with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, okay? Benchmark number five is this, that we grow up into the head. Look at Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Listen, if we're just growing together and we're not growing up into Christ, that's just a waste. If we have these life groups that are gathered together and all we're doing is we're like loving each other really well, but we're not growing together into Christ, then we've missed the point. Uh, there, there's a guy named, uh, he's not anymore, he's dead, uh, but his name was Robert Wadlow, okay? He was born in 1918 in Alton, Illinois. And when he was born, he was pretty average, okay? Eight pounds, six ounces, 18 inches long. Uh, pretty average little guy when he was born. But he had an abnormality in his pituitary gland, in his head, um, that caused him to grow at an abnormally fast rate. So that by the age of two... Robert Wadlow was four feet six inches tall, and he was a little bit taller than I am right now at the age of six. By the age of 13, his shoes were size 25, and by the time he graduated from high school at age 17, he was eight feet three inches tall. 
and he still wasn't done growing. He continued to grow until he died at age 22 of an infection, uh, and he was at that point 8 feet and 11 inches tall. That's a tall dude. That was a lot of growing. Just as the hormone produced by a gland in the head of Robert Wadlow affected the growth of his whole body, so for us as a church, our growth is affected by and dependent on our attachment to the head, our dependence on the head. Only in as much as we as a church are committed to growing into Christ, knowing Him more, He is the source of our growth. If we're not connected to the head, you know, like if there's somebody has a brain injury and something in the head gets disconnected, there's other things in the body that don't work, right? If we're not connected to Jesus as a body, then growth is not even possible. So as we grow, we're growing up into Christ. That's one of the benchmarks of a growing church. Benchmark number six, we've got two left. Verse 16 says this, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. So we know that we're growing as a church if each part is working properly and we're working well together. Listen, because the church is so messy, I'm so grateful that Jesus holds us all together. That's what it says here, that Jesus is the one holding us all together. We're dependent on that. And I'm grateful that as we do our part, each part doing its part, the body works itself up, grows itself up. Listen, if you look at just the human body, okay, my hand... Look at my hand. That's quite different from my eye. There's not really a lot that my hand and my eye and my mouth and my stomach have in common. They're all different. But I am so grateful that each of these individual parts can work together when there's a big, fat, juicy burger sitting on a plate. Like my stomach is doing this thing saying, I want that, causing saliva to form in my mouth to say, I want that. My eyes are looking at that saying, that's good. My nose is smelling it saying, that's good. I want me some of that. And by God's grace, I can take my hand, pick up that juicy burger, put it in my mouth, and be satisfied. And then the body grows. Sometimes, sometimes like growing the wrong way, but it's growing, right? And that takes each individual part of the body doing its thing. I'm not going to chew the burger with my hand. That does not work. I will not be satisfied if I chew it up like this. It needs to go here. That's what this part does. But as each part of the body works together, each doing its own part, held together by all the joints, held together by Jesus himself, the body can grow. And how does it grow? Last verse. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In love. The seventh benchmark of the church is the body is built up in love. Do we love each other, church? Do we love each other? How are we doing on this? Do we really love each other? How do we know love? 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Our love is rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. We don't know love if we don't know Jesus. If we know Jesus and have experienced His love, then we are free to love one another. The chapter right before that, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. This is 1 John 3, 16. We also, the next part is, we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. Right? That we know love because He first loved us. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. Listen, I know that we're loving one another well as a church if that's happening. When I see 
you, church. Lay aside your own agenda, your own plans, your own preferences. You're laying those things aside so that the body of Christ might grow. Then I know that we're really loving each other. When I see you giving up your time, giving up an evening to serve in Awana, when I see you giving up your money so that it might be multiplied and used for God's mission here and globally, when I see you giving things up, laying down your life for the sake of others, then I know that we're doing well with this benchmark. Discipleship looks like us meeting together to encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good works. That was last week. And this week, discipleship also looks like us gathering together, saved by God's grace in Christ, being saints, being a part of His body, and and working and functioning together to do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ might be built up. And we find a lot of joy in that. Don't you want to be a part of a growing church? A church that we can, when we go in to get a checkup, the doctor can say, you know what, everything's looking pretty good. You could grow here, you could work on this, you could work on that. But you're doing pretty good. And I think overall we are doing pretty good, church. But there's always room for growth. We're supposed to grow to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and we're not there yet. So we have room to grow. And as we grow together, under submission to our head, Jesus Christ, we will find great joy as the body is built up and as Jesus is glorified. We're going to actually close this morning by singing two songs rather than one song. great way to respond to God's Word as we hear from Him in His Word is to respond to Him with worship. So we're going to sing a song talking about the power of Jesus' name. And then we're going to sing a song called All to Us. And I love the chorus in that song that says, May the glory of your name be the passion of the church. That's how I know that we're growing. If, if our passion, if our desire as a church is not for our own preferences to be met, but it's so that Jesus, the glory of His name is magnified above everything else, then I know we're doing well as a church.